So may I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you like my shirt. I have just been in Ghana for a week. On uh, We have a link with the Diocese of Kumasi in Ghana. And Bishop Beverly had been invited to preach at the ordination of three priests, which is a very great honour. Uh, they've only had women uh, priests in the Diocese of Kumasi for about the last 10 or 15 years. And so having a woman bishop preaching in their cathedral on that occasion is a great honour. So Bishop Beverly made a week of it, and it was an awesome opportunity for herself and five of us to go with her and to experience Ghana. And uh, one of the things they gave me was a shirt, and so I thought I'd wear it for you today. And if you only remember anything about this morning, it'll either be how tasteful you found my shirt or how horrible you found it. And then you can discuss that over coffee afterwards. But I have learnt so much from my week away that I want to share with you a little bit of what I have learnt. And I particularly want to focus on the worship event that we had last week. The first thing you need to know is it started at half past eight in the morning and it finished at quarter to two. Five and a quarter hours. But I have to say it was thrilling. Uh, It was an eye opener. Uh, There were some things in the service that really did my head in, but there were many things that were just humbling and inspiring, and I'll tell you a bit about that in a few moments. Um, You also need to know that uh, one of the other things that we've been doing uh, is we've been visiting, uh, so we have a link with the Diocese of Kumasi in in Ghana, we also have a link with the Diocese of Virginia in America, and it is the Slave Trade Triangle, and our link is called the Triangle of Hope. So what we try to do is we try to learn from each other's churches and life experiences And it's built on the common, horrifying, evil trade in slaves. So uh, part of the week we've been to visit Cape Coast Castle, where the slaves were kept um, before they went through the door of no return, and we saw that, onto boats that took them onto ships that took them to America. And we were told that this was going to be a very emotional experience and that we should brace ourselves. I thought, (laughs) I've seen it all. I have never experienced anything like it. I have never experienced anything like it. And your imagination just is carried away. You go into the dungeon and they turn the light off. And they say, you would be here for days and weeks. And ten seconds later, they put the light back on again. 
But going back to the uh, going back, to, so so that, so that's the context. And Ghanaians were uniformly joyful, smiley, welcoming, happy. So pleased to see us. Every time we said Madase, which is Ghanchi, which is their language for thank you, they smiled and go, oh, a little thing. Anyway, going back to the service. Uh, sorry, before I get to the we'd also said we we're going to meet, we've also been to see the Ashanti king, the king of Ghana. And he lives in Kumasi. And uh, we had an audience with him because he's interested in the Triangle of Hope and wanted to know what we've been learning. So we were, shared that with him. He asked Bishop Beverly to pray for him because 70% of Ghana are Christians. And then he said, because I have kept you late, would you come for lunch in, in the palace on Sunday? Well, it would be rude not to, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, but our problem was that we, uh, we knew that we had a church service beforehand and we knew there was a possibility to go on a bit. And we had a 3.30 flight to catch from Kumasi. So arrangements were made and the plan was that the service would finish about half past 12. We would then go straight to the airport, check in our bags, and then, because uh, the king of Kamasi's office apparently had phoned the airlines, my guests are coming for lunch, the plane will not leave without them. Is that understood? And they were kind of going, well, we've got to go at 3.30, but we'll hold it as long as we can. So that was nice. So um, the service starts at 8.30. About 10 o'clock, the bishop was just about to present the priests when the president of Ghana appeared. And apparently he was on a tour. We'd had an inkling that he was coming, but he arrived an hour and a half after the service started. So Bishop Oscar left the, the priests at the ordination. It was their day, but, you know, taken over by the president. Goes to the door of the cathedral, who then walks in with the president. We all clap and cheer and uh, praise God for the president. He sat down with his entourage of 20 people, and the service continued. About 11 o'clock... Bishop Bev got on to preach. So we're two and a half hours into the service and Bishop Beverly just gets on to preach, okay? Um, but everyone is still lapping it up. They're all still running. It's about that time that a young uh, server in the, um, in the choir comes around with bottles of water to all of us priests who are in the chancel. I've never been so pleased to see a bottle of water because it was a lot warmer than it is today. It's about 36 degrees. And um, Bishop Beverly preached, and if you know her story, she, uh, before she was a Christian, she'd, uh, she worked in the city of London, and she'd had enough of it, so she decided to go from Egypt to Cape Town on a long journey. And to cut a long story short, she was, she was telling us this, uh, she became a Christian in, uh, on Table Mountain in Cape Town. Uh, and everywhere along her journey, people said to her, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And she, she thought, what is this Christian thing about? I need to find out about it. I need to learn about it. So she ended up becoming a, a, a Christian on Tail Mountain. And then she said to uh, the Pat Cathedral, she said, so, I, so Africa is my home and you are my family. And uh, as they always do, they burst into a round of applause. Just to say, you don't have to give me a round of applause this morning unless you really want to. But they are very encouraging, and, uh, and she gave a really good message. And then she also said, um, in, 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 in England, we were like you once. 70% of us used to be Christians, and now less than 2% are. So she was saying to them, 
Watch out. Value what you've got. Hold on to it. Uh, so that was uh, Bev's uh, sermon in a nutshell. At 12 o'clock, the president decided that uh, he needed to go. The only problem was he'd not had communion yet. And we hadn't even reached the, the communion prayer. So that was no problem either. So the president's entourage came forward and Bishop Oscar took some bread. I have no idea whether he prayed over the bread or not, but he gave them some bread. Uh, they do lots of water. They, they throw lots of water over you, not because just to cool you down, but also to remind you of God's blessing and prayed for the king of God, president of God, who then goes off um, at 12 o'clock. Um, and uh, by this time, I'm looking at my watch and thinking, we should be going to the airport quite soon, and we haven't even got communion yet, and it would be wrong to, to leave. No problem. One, or two, one of our company, Mal, who'd been organising the trip, went off with uh, his Ghanaian opposite number, as, it, as, I, as I discovered later, goes off to the airport, checks all our bags in, and comes back to the service, and it's still going on. Um, so we finished at quarter to two, uh, they presented us with various gifts, and uh, I got this shirt, amongst other things. I got loads of gifts. This is just one of them. And uh, I hadn't done anything. All I'd done is go out. Um, I hadn't prepared a sermon. I, I spoke once in a school about my disability, but that was it. I'd just been there, but they were so thrilled to see us. They just kept on giving us gifts. And Bishop Bev got a beautiful mitre, stole and cope made in gold. If you've seen it on social media, you'll know how beautiful it is. Uh, gold, uh, goldy coloured kente cloth. Beautiful. And uh, so we left a quarter to two. We got a police escort through the Ghanaian traffic. And Ghana doesn't appear to have a highway code. So you just get on the road and you just drive. And you, you know, if a car comes in before you, then that's fine. Uh, anyway, so we've got a police escort straight to the King's Palace, straight into his dining room. Very nice dining room, by the way. Um, we, were, we were eating as quickly as we can. The King was really understandable uh, with our situation. We could see the time was going on, so we had to leave before our pudding. And one or two of us, six of us who went, were really miffed they never got a pudding in the King's Palace. And I'm thinking, you got two out of three, what are you complaining about? Um, and the King said to us, um, invite me to Liverpool and I will come and worship in your cathedral. So that's the kind of level that we were operating on. And, you know, so you now watch this space. And um, so we left about three o'clock, plane needs to go at 3.30. Um, police escort to the airport, uh, through the Ghanaian traffic. Uh, we could see the plane was on the runway, all ready to go. Uh, we get there, we get out, the security do the metal detector stuff, um, gave us our boarding passes and on we went. Sat down in our seats, closed the door and off it flew. That was Ghana in a nutshell. And I have come back from Ghana overwhelmed by the experience. Um, it has been grace-filled because I feel completely undeserving of that experience, of the generosity, of the warmth, of the hospitality that we were shown uniformly. I am ashamed of my lack of generosity my lack of warmth, my lack of hospitality. 
Uh, I forgot to say, the collection in the service took 40 minutes, and they had three. The first collection was a collection for the Theological College that they have in Kumasi, and it involved people coming forward and giving some money, and their name being read out and how much money they had given, which would scare the wits out of most of congregations in, in England, wouldn't it? Can you imagine there was someone at the front who you had to come forward and put an envelope and they'd open the envelope and say, oh, Mrs. Smith has given five pounds, or whatever it was. Um, and it appears that uh, if you could have a second bite of the cherry as well. So anyway, they, um, that was the first collection. The second collection was uh, for everybody, and I mean everybody. So all of us priests never got away. You know when I get dressed up and go to the cathedral and I'm sitting there, they never come round with the plate to the priests. I don't know why. Well, I've got a good idea. Well, probably, you know, they just think, oh, the priests aren't going to give or difficult, you know, uh, and I know there's different ways of giving now. But we, we went out to give giving. And so this guy came over to me and started dancing with me. So there am I dancing in a Ghanaian church with this bloke, thinking, I hope no one can see me now. And we dance up to the collection plate. And I didn't have any collection on me. So I don't know what I was doing. But Mal was going the other way. He said, have you got any collection? No. So he handed me a Ghanaian, some Ghanaian notes and I was able to put those in. But it was great fun. And the third collection was for the tithes. And so some people, it was their annual um, opportunity to give a tithe of their income for the year. So three collections. And of course, what I've learned, for them, giving, uh, when you give, God will bless you. And we don't quite have that sense in this country, I would say, that when we give, God blesses us. Perhaps we're a bit nervous about the theology that may lay behind that. They don't have that problem. They just want to give because none of it belongs to them in the first place. So why would they want to hold on to it? Which is a contrast to what often it feels to me. As an archdeacon, I go around and I talk to people and they will, you know, PCCs and stuff, and they'll complain about, you just want to get more money off the, to, to the diocese, don't you, archdeacon, to pay the parish share. Never do I say to people, hear from people, Archdeacon, you're asking us for X thousands of pounds. We'd like to give more, please. Never hear that. No one ever says that. They always want to give less. Now, it may be they want to give more to their local church or to charity and less to the diocese, but I think I'm, making my, I'm exaggerating slightly to make a point. But in Ghana, everywhere we want, they wanted to give, not just in the service, but in life as a whole. And we ended up getting presents. Wherever we visited people, they were giving us presents. They were giving us food. I've come back having put on weight. You know, it's extraordinary. So part of the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm still very excited, as you may have gathered about Ghana, but also it's by way of introducing the next talk in your sermon series about being a resilient church. You've learnt about being resilient Christians and now we're moving into being a resilient church. And the first topic in that is being a learning church. And so what I want to suggest to you is that we have a lot to learn from other churches. 
and that we are impoverished when we think that the way that we do things in our church is the best way or indeed the only way and we cannot learn from other churches whether they're churches in our triangle of hope like Kumasi or whether they're the church down the road an Anglican church or a non-Anglican church there is always something that we can be learning whenever I go on holiday I try to go to church and sometimes I'm really thankful for the church I normally go to but sometimes I am glad for the church that I've visited because I've learned something new. And I sometimes wonder whether we as Christians uh, get so uh, happy with our own church that we forget that there are other churches out there who are trying to follow God and listen to God and have got something to learn uh, from them. We can never say that as a church we have learned everything there is to know, that we have arrived, that we are perfect. We don't contrast and compare ourselves with other churches. We, what we should be saying is there is still more to learn. Our knowledge is incomplete. We are not perfect. And when I talk about learning, I'm not talking about information. This is not about how well you know your Bible. It's not about that. This is about transformation. Because you can know the Bible off by heart. And by the way, I think that's a good good idea. But if that knowledge does not transform you and make a difference to you, then it's no good. Uh, Paul says something similar. He says, you know, uh, you can know everything. You can know all mysteries. But if you don't have love, it's of no value. And when you were at school in the early days, you would be taught your alphabet, your words, your vocab, and your times table. Because the teachers knew if you could do the addition, subtraction, multiplication, division and you could spell, and you could make words, they were the foundation to all the other subjects. And you would be able to do so much more when you knew your foundation. And as a diocese, we have a rule of life, which we are encouraging every Christian to adopt. And it's based on six little words. They are to pray read and learn, tell, serve and give. So we believe that if every Christian prayed, read the Bible, learned about being a disciple, they could tell of their faith to others, they could serve the needs of those around them and they could give of their time, talents and treasure. So pray, read, learn, tell, serve, give. So I'm delighted to be speaking to you this morning about learning. The goal of our learning, as I've just said, is about transformation, is about making us more and more like Jesus. If what we learn does not make us more and more like Jesus, then we need to ask ourselves what's going on. 
And as a church, we are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet and mouth in the world. So as a church, we need to look more like Jesus in the way that we relate to each other, in the way that we structure ourselves, in the way we worship him, in the way we treat others. How do we as a church embody Jesus? We've just been through a terrible experience as a country. I'm sorry, as I say that, I'm not talking about the, um, the last 45 days of our Prime Minister. I've been talking about the pandemic. The pandemic. The pandemic changed the way we operated as a church. We had no choice. We had to find another way of worshipping God, of relating to one another, of caring for one another. We felt... Uh, depths of pain that we'd never felt before. And now that we seem to be coming out of the pandemic, it is interesting to me to go around asking churches, well, what have you learned from the pandemic? And what is it that you want to keep? And what is it that you want to get rid of? Because some churches can't wait to go back to the old days, the good old days. Do you remember the good old days? And some churches are saying, you know what? We've tasted something different. We've learned something new. And we want to keep that. And it seems to me that's a healthy thing for churches to do. Is to say, you know what? This is not about going back to the good old days. This is about reflecting on our experience. Learning from it. And putting into practice what we've learned. And that seemed to me to be good. So a hallmark of a learning church is a church that always saying, what do we need to know? What are we learning? And it happens on an individual level, but it also happens at a church level. Someone has rightly pointed out that we have two ears and one mouth. And that's because we learn more when we listen than when we speak. And I was really delighted to hear about the Alpha course that uh, is going on because one of the great things about the Alpha course is that we've learned that when people are able to listen and then ask questions, then to say what they agree with and what they don't agree with, when they can engage in conversation, there is learning taking place. And that's a really good thing to be encouraging. And I'm conscious as I stand here to you this morning, speaking to you and you're all listening, it's not the best way of learning. Which is why when I was talking to John before the coffee, he said, uh, before the service, he said to me, they're going to pull my sermon apart on Wednesday night in his home group. And they're going to learn from it. And I think that's a really good thing. Because even if you, whatever you get from what I'm saying this morning, I don't mind. What, I, what, I, what would grieve me is if, if um, I want every one of you to walk out of church this morning and say, I've learned something this morning. That's what I'd like. 
And I don't care what it is that you may have learned. I was saying in the earlier service, when I was, in, in, when I was leading a church, I'd always stand at the back door of church, shake hands with people, and often they would say, oh, really nice sermon, Vicar, thank you. And I used to say, oh, what bit of the sermon was it that you particularly spoke to you? And I remember this lady one day said, well, we need to forgive one another. And I'm thinking to myself, I never spoke about forgiveness once in my sermon. But in a way, I wasn't about to correct her and say, you know, I didn't say anything about forgiveness. If that's what she got out of the sermon, and it may well be that she had come to church that morning with the need to forgive someone because someone had done something really bad to her. And that's what she got from her sermon. Then I'm happy. I'm happy. And so listening is a really important part of learning. And often as churches, our evangelism would be enriched if we genuinely listened to what those people that we are trying to bring to faith in Jesus were really saying. And this kind of medium is not the ideal scenario. You and I may be very used to one person speaking for 20 minutes or however long and listening, but a lot of people in the world, they don't want that. And one of the things we learned from the pandemic, that if you try to preach for 20 or 30 minutes online, people would switch off, literally. Or they'd watch it on record and zip their way through to the end. The gospel stories are full of conversation and of dialogue. So Jesus would speak, and then the disciples would say, what do you mean, Jesus? We don't understand. Or they would say, Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive? Or they would say, Jesus, we've just seen you praying. Can you teach us to pray? Or they would say, who's the greatest? Etc, etc. And those were the moments when Jesus was able to teach them and explain to them much more clearly because their ears were open and eager and they were, Jesus was about to answer a question which was really on their mind and not the, not the thing that Jesus was trying to get across to them. And because they had space to ask their own questions, they learnt more fruitfully. And it seems to me that uh, as, a, as a community of Christians, we need to A, have the space to ask questions. We need to find people who can help us answer them. And they may not know the answer, but having the, the, the places, whether it's a home group or somewhere else, is really important. We also need to be aware that we are being formed by other influences. What do I mean by that? We are already learning by the way the adverts come on TV that we have a need for something. You didn't know until a few weeks ago that you needed an air fat fryer in your kitchen. <laughs> but now everybody is getting them because everybody's getting it. I'm not getting one, by the way. Just thought I'd put it out there. Uh, social media. Twitter, Facebook really makes you unhappy and wish you were on holiday still or having as great a time as the, your friends 
or the dissatisfaction with your life that social media can create. And then, of course, there's the news that makes us fearful and anxious. And we put on the news. I try to watch every day. And, you know, it doesn't put you in a good mood, does it? But we, we are not of uh, that group of people that are fearful and anxious. We believe, don't we, there's always hope and that God is working his purpose out a year succeeds year to year. That's what we believe and that's what we hold on to and that's what we trust and that's why we pray for our leaders that God will guide them even if they're not conscious of it so that the common good of this country and the world can take place. And if we're being humbled and if we are realising that as a country we're not as good as we thought we were then so be it. But we put our trust and faith in God. And when you look in the Bible, you see in the Old Testament how God expects, how God deals with people, his people, uh, supremely as a community. And when you look at their journey out of Egypt into the promised land, they knew all about the milk and honey stuff, but it was so difficult for them to get there because they weren't trusting and obeying in God. And they grumbled. At one stage they said to Moses, we wish we were back in Egypt. Even though they'd got short memories and they were being treated so harshly, they still said, well, at least we had food. Not like this manna stuff that we only get every day. And it's the same. And when they got close, they said, we need to send some spies up to have a look at the promised land and see what it's like. And the spies come back and said, yeah, it is milk and honey. But the people there are huge. We're never going to be able to do it because we're tiny. And two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, God has said, has promised it to us, so we can do this. And they had to wait even longer to get into the promised land because they preferred to listen to the spies than they did to Caleb and Joshua. And all this time they were learning through their failures as a people to listen to God. And in the same way, Jesus expects his disciples to learn from him. That's the definition of a disciple. Jesus said in our passage, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Just think about that for a moment. Everything, says Jesus, that I learned from my father... I have made known to you. So that doesn't make us want to look at Jesus' words more closely. I don't know what does. And Jesus is saying, what I learned, I passed on to you. And that's the principle that we're trying to explore. That all of us can learn something and pass it on to others. And then, of course, Paul's letters to the churches is a fruitful area for us to look at. And we read some words from the, the Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, you need to know that in the context in which we read these words, Paul is in prison. He is writing 
to the Philippian church. So he's stuck in prison. What else can he do? Not a lot. So he's going to write a letter of encouragement. And the four chapters that we have in Philippians, which read just a few verses at a time, he would expect that his letter as a whole would be read out to the church when the, the church in Philippi met. So knowing that Paul is in prison, it is extraordinary that he should say that he has learned to be content in each and every situation that he is. He's in prison. He's probably not going to get out again. And yet he's learned to be content. So if Paul is following Jesus, then we can follow Paul because he's following Jesus. And we can learn from Paul. And as a church, you know, uh, the, the New Testament church were not perfect. There were lots of things they didn't know. We know the Corinthian church was very divided and they argued over all sorts of things. So God's word comes to the church as a community as well as to people as individuals. And Paul himself says, whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. That's quite a bold statement. Paul is saying, imitate me. Learn from me. Because whatever you see in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I wonder how many of us would be prepared to say that. I don't think Paul is being arrogant. He is being helpful. And he is setting out to be an example to others. And so should we be as well. So we learn in lots of different ways. We learn from the experience of other churches. We learn from God directly. We learn from, of course, from his word in the Bible. We learn from Jesus we can learn from Paul. We can learn from one another. Every one of us is made in the image of God and reflect his truth and light. So we need to be ready to learn from one another, whether that's over coffee after the service, just talking to our neighbour. We need to be open to one another in that respect. We need to learn from those who are not yet Christians. We learn by listening. Any situation that we find ourselves in, we can learn from. And let me, let me finish by saying we learn from our failures more than we learn from our successes. If you talk to any sports person who's got to the top of their game, they will tell you that they have learned more from their defeats than they have from their victories. And as a church, we're not perfect. Things don't always go well. Look at Jesus. In many ways, Jesus was a failure. He died. He was crucified. And yet, I've been saying, we can learn from him.
So let's not be afraid of experiencing failure or indeed learning from failure. Because there are times when that is more of our experience than not. For some of us, it's neither, neither failure or success. It's just kind of a grey area in the middle. Let's not be afraid of failure or things not going well because we can learn from those as well. When Jesus left the disciples and ascended to heaven, he said, I will send you another helper, someone who will walk alongside you, someone that will live in you, someone that will remind you of everything that I've ever said, someone who will make you more and more like me. He was, of course, talking about the Holy Spirit. And so we have the Holy Spirit today to lead us into all truth, to teach us what we do not yet know, to guide us and to work in us. So let us not think that all the learning is on our side, important though it is. Let us also remember that to listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives, wherever we see him. Amen.